Amen. All the people said? Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Thank you, praise team. I love that new song. I like when they teach us new songs, don't you all? Give them a big hand for that new song. We love that. Good deal. Glad you're here. We've already had uh, service this morning at, at 9 o'clock, and it was, uh, it was pretty good, so uh, I'm hoping this one's better. That was a great one. Can this be better? Yeah. Well, I know it can. I, I know it can. Okay, uh, right before I get into the Word of God, uh, how many of y'all do social media? Anybody do social media? Raise your hand if you do social media. Come on, lift up your hand. I want to say, okay, pretty much everybody. How many of y'all do Facebook? Anybody out there do Facebook? All right, a lot of y'all do Facebook. I'm not a Facebook. I, I really am not. Uh, I did join Facebook a few years ago when uh, Callie went on the world race so I could keep up with things, and, and I didn't keep up with things. And uh, I recently got back on Facebook because they have a, a thing called Marketplace where you can buy things and sell things, you know? And I don't sell things, but I like to look at things, and so I'm, I, I look at old Chevy pickups and GMC pickups on there, and it's pretty cool. But one night, I don't know what I was doing, I was out of my mind, and I just started, there was like 500 people who wanted to be my friend. And uh, when I grew up, I didn't have a whole lot of friends, so I just started accepting everybody <laughs> as my friend. I don't know, I got about a zillion friends now, and, and uh, so, and I... I guess I, I troll on, do you, is that the word troll, where you don't really ever post anything, you just kind of troll? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was creeping on you today, man. I creeped on Jason this morning. But I, I just, right between services, I saw this, I thought, well, this is pretty funny right here. So he, it's not about him, but he, he posted it, it's about Facebook. It, it, and it says, I'm trying to make friends outside of Facebook while applying the same principles. Therefore, every day I walk down the street and tell passers-by what I've eaten <laughs> and how I feel at the moment and, and, and what I did the night before and, and what I'm going to do later on and with whom. I give them pictures of my family, pictures of my dog, of me gardening, of me taking something apart in the garage, of me watering the lawn, of me standing in front of landmarks, driving around town. Things that everybody does every day. And I also listen to their conversations. I give, I give them thumbs up, and I tell them I like them, and it works just like it does on Facebook. I already have four people following me, two police officers, a private investigator, and a psychiatrist. So there you go. Thank you, man. Thank you, buddy. Right there. That, I don't know. That just made me feel better. How about? All right. But we're looking at Kingdom Come, okay? It's a new little series I started entitled Kingdom Come, and today we're going to talk about kingdom people. What kind of people are in the kingdom of God and exactly what they do? Jesus taught us to pray to the Heavenly Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so last week we started this little series entitled Kingdom Come. I don't know how long it's going to last. I do know that that little phrase, uh, God's kingdom, kingdom come, is found like 150 times in the New Testament. So literally I could preach for three years, you know. On, on this material. I'm not going to do that, probably just a few more weeks. But we're wanting to understand what it means to desire, to pray for, and to work for what Jesus told us to desire, to pray for, and to work for. And that is for God's kingdom 
to come. We're also trying to understand what it means for us to obey Jesus when he said in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So church, if we are desiring, if we are praying for, and if we are working for the kingdom of God to come and for his will to be done, then we will constantly be thinking about how God wants to expand his kingdom by bringing new people into the family of faith, into the church, and into the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus told countless stories about the kingdom of God. And in one of them, he told this little parable. It's only a verse long. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47. Let's see what Jesus said. Again, this is a little story. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay? Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a what? A net that was let down into the lake, and it caught all kinds of fish. Now, most of us know how to fish with a rod and a reel and a line. But back in Jesus' day, they went fishing with nets. And they would take these nets and their boats out into the lake. They would drop down the net and they would try to scoop up fish with the net. Jesus is saying, here's what the kingdom of God is like. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, it is equal to this net that caught all of these fish. And the point Jesus is making to us is that the people, people in this world, they are the fish. People are fish, and Jesus is the guy with the net trying to catch all of these people. So, for us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, means that we desire, that we pray for, that we work for people to be caught by Jesus Christ. And notice the verse says all kinds of fish. So we want Jesus to catch all kinds of people. It means that for every relationship that we have, whether it's family or neighbors or coworkers or classmates or teammates or whoever it may be, it means that we desire, we pray for, and we work for God's kingdom to come into their lives. So let's open our Bibles to one of the many references Jesus made to the kingdom of God. And that is Luke chapter 18 today. Here Jesus shows us what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. Are you with me? He's telling us what it takes for us to be kingdom people, for us to be citizens of the kingdom. But he also tells us how the kingdom of God is exhibited or displayed in the lives of kingdom people. So it tells us how to enter the kingdom and how we exhibit the kingdom to the rest of the world. And it's right here in Luke chapter 18. You there? Feels like I need to pause just for a second. Let you catch up with me because I've been going nonstop, haven't I? I had one of those monster drinks while I was reading Jason's Facebook thing. So I'm really jacked up now, man. Luke chapter 18, verse 15. Then they also brought infants to Jesus that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to himself and said, Let the little children come unto me and do not forbid them. For us of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, 
Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So, so far, how many times do we have the kingdom of God mentioned there? Two times, right? Two times. As I keep reading, you keep counting that phrase, kingdom of God. So right after this happens, a certain ruler, verse 18, asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, and he lists some of them. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all of these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said back to him, well, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, take your cross and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. Bummer, isn't it? Bummer. Verse 24, when Jesus saw that he became sorrowful, he said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the what? Kingdom of God. And here's here's verse 25, one of the hardest sayings of Jesus in the Bible. I told first service people, I have a a book in my library entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. It was written by Professor F.F. Bruce, who is one of my professors at Southwestern Seminary. And he lists all the difficult sayings of Jesus in the New Testament. There are dozens of them. And F.F. Bruce says this one right here in verse 25 is absolutely the hardest saying of Jesus for those of us in the Western world. And I believe he's right. What is this hard saying? Jesus said, verse 25, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, (laughs) Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See, Lord, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come He shall receive eternal life. Amen? May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. I only have two points I want to make from this passage today. And the first one is simply this. Notice that kingdom people, okay, we're talking about kingdom people, citizens of the kingdom, citizens of heaven. They enter the kingdom through childlike dependence. In fact, Jesus is saying in this passage, if you want to be a part of the family of faith, you've got to become a little child. Now, guys, you know it wasn't at all uncommon for Jesus to attract young families in his earthly ministry. All these parents wanted to bring their babies and their children to Jesus so that Jesus could touch them and bless them. There was just something about Jesus. 
I don't know if it was his demeanor or his, his personality or his looks or whatever it was, but it just attracted young families with little kids to Jesus Christ. And little children were attracted to Jesus. Little children love Jesus. Oh, I think I know why. It's because Jesus loved little children, all right? And so here are all these parents bringing their children to Jesus. And, and you see what happens here. The disciples don't like it. Why? Because they think there's, there, you know, there's got to be more important stuff for us to do, Lord. We need to be sitting at the coffee shop talking about doctrine. Yeah. We, we, we need to go out on an evangelistic crusade. Save sinners. And then Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, no, you've got it wrong. I want to teach you a lesson of how important little children are. They are a blessing to me. And the only way you can become a member of the kingdom of God is if you become like a little child. Now, I want to point something out to you that we're going to see over and over again in every story that we tell about the kingdom of God. The kingdom always seems to be focused on the lowest level, at least in human terms, and not on the highest level. Jesus, King Jesus, values children, little kids. King Jesus values poor people and sick people and hungry people and the suffering. Kingdom people will always be found in the lowest, most helpless in our society. Those who cannot do for themselves, those who are dependent upon God's grace and God's mercy. In fact, Jesus said that to enter the kingdom, look at me, to enter the kingdom, you've got to get low. I would bend over this way, but I don't go that way. I hardly go this way anymore. He said you've got to get low. Say, get low with me. One, two, three. Get low. Well, Jesus, just how low do we have to get to become a member of the kingdom of God? He says you have to become like a little child. That's how low you have to get. Verse 16, but Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come unto me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So what are the qualities of childlikeness that Jesus is commending here. Well, for one thing, little children are pretty humble. I mean, think about that, aren't they? Little kids are humble. They don't mind admitting their dependence upon their parents or their grandparents or their caretakers. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 4, whoever humbles himself like a little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, you know how to get great in God's kingdom? You get low, man. <laughs> how low? As low as a humble little child. Yeah, little kids are like this. They, they realize they can't do it, they need help, and so what do they do? You've seen it. They reach out. They need, you, they need you to pick them up because they can't get over that obstacle. They need you to pick them up because they're hungry. They need you to pick them up because they're sad or they're afraid. and They, they need help. So what do they do? They reach those chubby little fingers out to you. And I, I can't wait till I have some little chubby fingers reaching out to me here in a few more months. Po, po. 
That's what Ella Jane's going to say. Poe, Poe. That's what the, she's going to call me, Poe. Poe is what Filipinos call old men. <laughs> That's me, Poe, old man. But I, I can close my eyes right now and I can just see my little Ella Jane, even though I've never met her yet, I can see what she's going to look like. She's going to be pretty, just like her grandmama. Thank you, man. <laughs> I rack them up whenever I can get them, man. There you go. And she's going to need something. Her, her mean mom and dad are going to tell her no. I can't wait for this, man. <laughs> I'm really getting excited. And she's going to look at me. Bo, Bo. And what am I going to do? Will you put your baby right here? You want $100? I'll give you $100. <laughs> Man, I can't wait. It's going to be. They humble themselves. Can I tell you what? I've been in that position before. In fact, just about every day. And there, just personal, my own personal prayer life. Guys, there's, there's nothing like me, 57-year-old old man, old Poe, reaching up my chubby little fingers, saying, Abba. Abba Father, I don't know the answer to this. I don't know what to do. I'm in a mess, and I need your help, and I humble myself. And I say, Lord, I can't do it, but I know you can. You've never failed me. Do it again, Lord. And he reaches down, and he just takes me up. You know, we like to talk about childlike faith. Isn't that a great little phrase? Childlike faith. What, what, what is childlike faith? Well, well, children just trust the people that they depend on, don't they? They presume that mom and dad knows what's best for them. And so they obey. That is, until they get a little older. <laughs> huh? Little kids tend to be teachable. They believe and they accept what mom and dad says as truth, don't they? I mean, it's childlike faith. And, and notice that the king of God, kingdom of God, Jesus said, belongs to those who become like little children. So when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, when we follow Jesus, eternal life in the kingdom of God becomes our inheritance. Now look at verse 17. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So a couple of more things. Notice about this. Notice the kingdom of God has to be received. Like receiving a gift. It cannot be earned. Like you earn wages. You can't buy yourself into the kingdom of God. You can never be good enough to earn salvation. It has to be received by faith through repentance. And that's the important part. It's by faith through repentance. Notice that it also says it has to be entered. You have to take that step. You have to enter the kingdom of God. No one, listen to me, no one is in the kingdom of God automatically. I don't care what country you're from, what color your skin is. I don't care who your granddaddy was or even your parents. You don't automatically get into the kingdom of God. 
It has to be entered with the faith of a child. People become citizens of the kingdom of God when by faith through repentance they surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. How about an amen for that? One night Jesus had a conversation with a very well-educated, very religious man. His name was Nicodemus. That conversation took place in John chapter 3. He wanted to know more about Jesus and more about eternal life, so he came to Jesus asking a series of questions. Here's what Jesus said back to Nicodemus, John 3, verse 3. He said, I tell you the truth, Nick. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So Jesus introduces us to this new phrase, being born again. And what I want you to see here is that there is a very clear distinction between being a religious man like Nicodemus was and being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was a good old boy. I mean, he was a church-going man. He did everything right, but that does not automatically make him into a citizen of the kingdom of God. No, to enter the kingdom of God... An inner, inner transformation has to take place in your life. A transformation that Jesus tagged as being born again. You have to be born again. You have to become like a little child. Well, let me show you what this looks like in a real life situation. How many of y'all, raise your hands if you know that. How many of y'all know the name Steve McQueen? Anybody out there know Steve McQueen? Raise your hand. Okay, older people probably know Steve McQueen. Uh, younger people may not know who he was. He was a movie star back in the 1960s and 70s. In fact, in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, he was the highest paid movie star in Hollywood. He had a nickname. You know what he was called? Anybody? The King of Cool. Steve McQueen was cool, too. Zane, he had some swagger to him, man. I mean, he was... He was, he was a handsome man, a good-looking guy, and I'm going to tell you what, he was cool. But Steve McQueen was one of the most arrogant men who ever lived. At the height of his popularity, Steve McQueen was asking in an interview if he believed in God. Now listen to his arrogant answer. He replied, I believe in me. God will be number one as long as I am number one. That's arrogant. Mm. He was famous for his drunkenness, for his womanizing, and for his cruelty to other people around him. He had one failed marriage after another. But you know what? The people closest to him knew that Steve McQueen was coming to see what so many other celebrities had come to see. And that is, when you get to the top, <laughs> there's really nothing there at all began to put some people in Steve McQueen's life that saw where he was headed and, and started witnessing to him. For example, his stunt double was a guy named Stan Barrett, and he was a strong Christian. And every day when he was around McQueen, uh, Barrett would just witness to him and tell him stories about Jesus. Later in his life, McQueen took up flying, and his flight instructor was a guy by the name of Sammy Mason, who also was a strong believer. And, and very bold in his witness, he would have Steve up in the airplane and start telling him about Jesus <laughs> and death <laughs> and eternal life. 
And he saw through the weeks that he spent with McQueen that, that God was softening his heart. So one day he took a risk. And he invited Steve to come to church with him. And to his great surprise, Steve McQueen said, well, you know what, I think I will come to church with you. The, the person who was more surprised was Steve McQueen's live-in girlfriend. <laughs> he went home and said, okay, baby, we're going to go to church with Sammy. And she couldn't believe it. But for the next three months, they never missed a Sunday morning service. Steve McQueen, his live-in girlfriend, and Sammy Mason went to church. Finally, one day after the service, Steve McQueen went up to the preacher, Leonard DeWitt, and invited him to go to lunch. And over lunch, they were talking, and Steve leaned across the table and said, Preacher, I bet you're wanting to know if I've been born again, aren't you? And Brother DeWitt said, Well, Steve, that is the most important question. And very quietly and very slowly, Steve explained to Pastor DeWitt what had happened just two weeks previous to that when the pastor gave the invitation and said, if you'd like to be saved, pray this prayer with me. Steve McQueen said, I prayed the prayer, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I've been born again. His life was transformed. Shortly after coming to Christ, Steve McQueen was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer, and just within a few months, he died. But before he died, Steve McQueen showed that he had really entered the kingdom of God. The people who were closest to him noticed he was a different man. First thing he did, he married his live-in girlfriend. And then he started being generous to people and genuinely concerned about them. Before he died, he wrote letters, personal letters, to every family member that he had and all of his closest friends sharing with them his testimony of how he gave his life to Jesus and the fact that he was a part of the kingdom of God. Church, Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You've got to be saved. And Jesus is telling us the way you get saved, the way you get into the kingdom of God is you've got to get low. How low? You've got to become like a little child. Secondly, kingdom people exhibit the kingdom through Christ-like surrender. You see, the kingdom of God is simply the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. King Jesus is working in us. He is orchestrating our lives to reflect the kingdom of God. Kingdom people are people who have abandoned their own lives for the sake of the kingdom of God. Kingdom people are people who have surrendered everything to King Jesus. They have given up everything, lock, stock, and barrel, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Jesus makes that clear from the beginning. He said, listen, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to cost you. Everything. Now, what's interesting to me is we've got this story about these little kids coming to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to become what? Like a little child. And then in the very next verse, we've got this other man coming to Jesus. Not a little kid. He, he, was, he was a man, a young man, a ruler. And he had a question. He says, good teacher, what, what must I do... 
And notice this question, what must I do to inherit everlasting life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except one, that's God. He said, you know the commandments. He didn't list all of them, but a few. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the young ruler said to him, got it, all these things I have done since I was a little boy. Check, 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 I'm good to go. Now, I preached from this not long ago, didn't I? Do you remember that? How arrogant of this young man. How arrogant. Well, maybe not. Maybe Maybe he really was a good young man. I've, I've met good people before, haven't you? That, that always try to do the right thing. Huh? And, and he had known these commandments since he was a kid. And he said, yep, I've done that, done that, done that, do that. Yep, I got that. <laughs> Dude, I'm good. I'm good to go. Jesus said, not quite. One thing you lack, here's what I want you to do. Sell everything that you have and give it to poor people, the destitute. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, some translations say, take up your cross and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. Some translations say very sad. He was downtrodden. He was downcast. His head was hanging down. Why? Because he was very what? He was very rich. And he wasn't willing to give it all up. Can you see the contrast between these two stories? Jesus is saying, you've got to become a little child if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And here is this grown man coming and saying, Lord, what do I got to do? And Jesus said, well, you've got to follow me. You've got to obey me. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, what you need to do, dude. You need to put me number one in your life because apparently I'm not number one. I know what's number one in your life, all your stuff. Your money. So give all of that stuff away and make me number one. That's what it takes. And guys, don't don't miss what Jesus is saying here. This is tough stuff. You want to follow Jesus? It's going to cost you something, brother. Sister, it's going to cost you something. What's it going to cost you? (laughs) Everything you got. He didn't like the saying, so what did he do? He walked away. Jesus applied this to his disciples. He's not going to give up this opportunity to to minister to his own. So he says to them in verse 24, or they say, "How, how hard is it for rich people to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus asked, how hard is it for that to happen? And then he comes to this hard saying. Hardest saying of Jesus, according to F.F. Bruce, for those of us in the Western world. Jesus said, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And their response to that is, well, then who in the world can be saved? Who can be saved? Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Big picture, okay? That's what we need to get to, the big picture. Jesus is saying there's only one way into the kingdom of God. It's it's through Jesus. You've got to become a little child. You cannot trust anything else, whether it's riches or relationships or position or power or education. All of those things have to be laid aside. The only thing that matters is if you're making me number one in your life. That's what it takes. Full surrender. Total abandonment of your own life. You've got to give up everything to serve Jesus. That's the big picture. 
Now, what we get hung up on is this illustration Jesus uses. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And you're just dying for me to talk about that, aren't you? Because you're wondering what it means and you've heard all these explanations. What, what, what does that mean? Well, I'll, I'll just talk to you for a second and tell you what I think it means uh, and what I don't think it means. I, I, I think a lot of people try to soften the hard saying of Jesus by giving us some kind of explanation of what Jesus is saying. For example, uh, it's a tradition that's probably a, maybe, maybe a thousand years old that there was a, a gateway, a doorway through the walls of, of the city of Jerusalem called the Needle Gate. And it wasn't one of these big, huge gates that, that you can take a camel through. It was just a small gate that a man would open if he came in and the big gates were shut, and he would have to kind of crouched down to get through it himself. It's just a little doorway, a little gate. And it would be impossible for a, a camel to go through there. Even if you strip the camel down and put the camel on its knees and pushed it through, it'd probably get stuck. So you think, well, that sounds like a pretty good explanation. Problem with that is there is no historical evidence there was an ever, ever a gate or a door called the needle gate. Sounds good, but it's probably not true. Other explanations go like this. The word for camel is very similar to the Greek word for cable. And so they think it was just kind of a, a, a through translation, the words got changed around. What Jesus is really saying is, is a, a cable. It's easier for a cable, that is a big rope, a big cable, to go through an eye of a needle. Y'all know what a needle is, don't you? A little eye, you put the thread through. Is it just me or do y'all have a hard time getting that little thread through? I mean, you wet it and you... I can't, man. It's tough getting old, huh? But they think that the word is not camel, but cable. I don't know. I think you're trying to soften it down. You know what I think? I think Jesus is talking about a real camel <laughs> and a real needle. Because back then everybody had a needle and thread. Because if their cloak ripped, they couldn't go to Dillard's and buy a new one. They had to mend it. And it was also in the Jewish law that on the Sabbath day, it was, it was forbidden on the Sabbath day for man or woman to carry a needle and thread in their pocket. Because you know why? On the Sabbath day they might see something that needs mending, pull out their needle and thread and sew it up and be working. And it was against the law to work on the Sabbath day. So you just couldn't carry the needle and thread. So I think Jesus, he meant what he said. He said what he meant. It's easier for a big old camel to go through the eye of a little bitty needle than it is for a rich man to make it into the kingdom of God. So is Jesus being anti-rich? No. No. The, the money is just an illustration here. I mean, you, you can be depending on other things other than your riches. The rich man could not bring himself to get low enough. That's the point. He was trusting in stuff rather than God. It's the same thing with people today who are rich in righteousness. And by that I mean they are trusting in their own righteousness to get a place into heaven. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And one day, Jesus shocked some, 
some people who were good, outstanding religious people when he said to them in Matthew 21, 31, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Why? Because they were trusting their own righteousness and they weren't getting low enough. Are you with me? You see, Jesus had his eye on people whom the religious people disregarded and had written off. And, and he still has his eye on people like that today. God, God is, is as much interested in the people who were at the casino last night than he is with people in this room this morning. Or maybe you don't like me saying that about the casino. How about the Cactus Club? I used that one this morning, first service. You ever been by the Cactus Club here in Fort Smith? I don't even know if they're still open or not. How, it's, it's an old club. There's a cactus out there on Towson Avenue. Only reason I know it's, it's there is because uh, you turn on that street that, that it's on to go to the First Free Will Baptist Church on the north side of town. Over on Armour Avenue. Don't get, don't get too wound up on the cactus part though, okay? My point is this. Jesus, if it's still open, Jesus is as concerned about the people at the cactus club last night as he is with people in this room today. Does that shock you? He's as interested in how we relate to people like that than really how he is that we relate to one another in here. And and church, I am not saying that what we do here on Sundays and at other times in the body of Christ is, is not important. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that if our concept of the Christian life and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus only happens here on Sunday mornings, then we are missing a huge part of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Kingdom people exhibit the kingdom of God through Christ-like surrender. Jesus set the example for us when he surrendered himself to the will of the Father and death on the cross. So our passage goes on in verse 28. Peter said to Jesus, See, Lord, we've left all to follow you. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come, eternal life. That's another hard saying of Jesus. In fact, this is a pretty hard message, isn't it? Let me just stop right here and apologize to those who came hoping to hear a a fun word today or a happy word or one of those feel-good messages. Because this is hard stuff. It's really hard stuff. And maybe you have never been confronted with these hard sayings of Jesus. But if you want to be a follower of Jesus, here's what it takes. Complete, total surrender. Gene Mims says it this way. Kingdom living is not an escape. Kingdom living is an engagement in warfare. It's not an escape from the hardships of life. No, kingdom living is a costly engagement against the kingdom of darkness that will result in suffering on your part and sacrificing so that the kingdom of God can come. Becoming a part of the kingdom of God 
is more than just becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God. It means that you become a soldier in the army of God. When you enlist in the military, everything changes, doesn't it? Those of you who have enlisted, you know, you know what I'm talking about. When you sign the paper and you join the military, you know what? You belong to them. Everything changes. The military tells you everything. They tell you when to get up, when to go to bed, what to wear, what to eat, when to eat, what to say, when to say it. You belong to them. That's right. And as kingdom soldiers, we must accept what John Piper calls a wartime lifestyle. Because listen, we are in a spiritual battle. Most of us here haven't ever had to endure this kind of, of, of wartime lifestyle. But, but there are times in our own nation's history when we were in world war that everyone had to sacrifice. Not just the soldiers who were in the military and those on the front line, but back home. People were sacrificing. They were giving things up so that the war could continue and that we could win. And for those of us who are citizens of the kingdom of God, we need to realize we are in constant battle. This is a war we're in. The kingdom of God is fighting for souls that need to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we are to take on a wartime lifestyle. What does that mean? Well, we've got to ask ourselves some hard questions. We've got to ask ourselves the question, how can my life count to advance the kingdom of God? What can I do? What can I give up? What do I need to say? Where do I need to go? Lord, what do you want from my life? How can I surrender? We need to ask, how does the way I spend my money and my time and my prayer work toward the kingdom of God coming to people that are all around me? Church, the battle for most of us is that we have become way too comfortable with the things of this world. And we forget that we're kingdom citizens who are engaged in the greatest quest for the kingdom of God to come and for His will to be done. And, and that's really what it means to, to seek first the kingdom of God and all of His righteousness. And He promises that when we do that, when we put Him first and surrender everything, He's going to cover it all for us. He's going to take care of us. So you know what? Whatever you have to give up, it's okay. He's got something better He's going to give us in return. Mark Basterson in his book, Chase the Lion, and he's written some really cool books, but in that book, Chase the Lion, he tells the story of a man by the name of J.W. Tucker. And I told this service story in the first service today. And after the service was over with, uh, Dewey Rogers came up to me and said, Preacher, I knew J.W. Tucker. He said, in fact, he came to Fort Smith several times. He said, I heard him preach over at E.T. He was, he was a great missionary. And, and Mary chimed along and she said, oh, yes, we supported his ministry. So I'm telling you a real story about a guy named J.W. Tucker who, who did preach here in Fort Smith years ago. Back in 1964, Tucker went to the Congo and Africa in the middle of a civil war to share the gospel with those in the African Congo. It was a very dangerous time. 
Because of his boldness in proclaiming the gospel, J.W. Tucker was captured by Congolese rebels. And they tied his hands to his back. And for days, they physically beat him. And then, along with 60 other Christians, they threw them all bound by their hands in their back into a crocodile-infested river where they died. And Dewey told me this morning, he says, I can remember it like it was yesterday. We got news that J.W. Tucker had died in a crocodile-infested river. Here's the interesting thing to me about that story. Before he went to the Congo, one of his good friends back here in America tried to talk him out of going. And his friend said to him, he said, J.W., if you go, if you go, you won't come out. And here's what J.W. Tucker said back to his friend. God didn't tell me I had to come out. God just told me I had to go in. Wow. And that's what it comes down to, friend. God tells us we are to enter this battle, this warfare, with total surrender and with childlike faith. And then, you know what? It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to us then because you know what? We are a part of the kingdom of God. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter how we end our life here. It might be in a crocodile-infested river. But if we've done that for Jesus, we have an inheritance that's going to last forever in a place that is beyond our wildest imaginations. And that's what it means to be a part of the kingdom. Kingdom people have surrendered everything to Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to remember about today's sermon. To be a kingdom citizen, you must, number one, enter with childlike faith. That's what it takes, childlike faith. And number two, you have to exhibit Christ-like surrender if you expect to follow Jesus. Now, that's my sermon. We're going to have what we call the invitation. I, I told the first service... Lord, Lord spoke this to me last night, and I've never, I've never done this before, never said this before. This is the second time I've said it because I said it in first service, but I'm going to say it to you. I do not want you to come to the altar today during the invitation. I do not want you to come. Now, that's a strange thing for a preacher to say, isn't it? Especially this one, because I've never said that. But I do not want you to come to the altar today. Unless... Can I say unless? Unless the Holy Spirit tells you to. Because if the Holy Spirit tells you to come to the altar today, dude, I know it's for real. It's, a, it's for real. Because what you're going to do down here at the altar is pretty significant. You're going, to, you're going to say yes to the Lord who says, go in. You may not come out, but go in. Today you're going to come down here and give him every part of your life. You're going to totally surrender everything to King Jesus. You're not going to hold anything back for yourself. You're going to give it all to him. Because you understand today that's what it means to be a person of the kingdom. So don't come down here unless the Holy Spirit tells you to come down here. You say, well, how, how am I going to know if the Holy Spirit tells me? Gary, you're going to know. You'll know if the Holy Spirit tells you. 
I told first service, it was at the National Convention this summer. It was in Little Rock. I was there with Cal, uh, Angie and Zane were there. Whitney was there for a few days, but my family was there. A big, big room we were in. We were sitting, uh, we were on the right side looking up. Remember where we were sitting over there with our friends? And, and the invitation was either Monday night or Tuesday night. I don't know which night, but I was standing there, and it was as clear as day. The Holy Spirit told me, Will, you need to go down there and pray. Because I'm at the National Convention. I'm, I'm the pastor of one of the biggest free will Baptist churches in the denomination. I said, well, Lord, what? I look, there ain't nobody down there praying. It wasn't Wednesday night. It wasn't the big night when everybody goes to pray. I said, Lord, ain't nobody down there. I would be the only one. He said, I don't care, Will. You, you go and pray. And he told me specifically how, what I was to pray about. Now, if I hadn't have gone down there, I would have disobeyed the Lord. And I would have missed out on a personal blessing that I received when I did go to the front and humble myself and pray about what I was supposed to pray about. Are you with me? So if the Holy Spirit is telling you, you'll know. You'll know. So just obey. Heavenly Father.